Our scripture is John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, City Church Eastside. My name is Christian Hempel. I'm a ruling elder here, and it is my privilege and pleasure to bring the word this morning. Uh, I am not at church. I am in my office at home. We're doing the service remotely uh, because of COVID, but I want to make sure that we can at least connect and hear the word from John chapter 1, and I look forward to um, sharing the message with you this morning. Uh, let me say a quick word of prayer for us, and then we'll jump in. Gracious Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that we can celebrate Christmas, which is uh, the dawning of light over darkness. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that my messages and my uh, words would be yours and uh, change our hearts so we become more like Jesus. Thank you for this time now, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas from my family to yours. I hope it was a good one. We had a very low-key Christmas, um, just given uh, the limitations on COVID and gatherings. Um, but as I was sitting around the Christmas tree and looking at the candles and looking at the lights, it struck me how much Christmas is about lighting and how Christmas lights are such an important part of this festive season. Um, in fact, if you look around, right, there are Christmas lights everywhere in our house and on yours, outside, uh, in the botanical garden, on the skyscrapers, all along the ways, there are lights that are being used to celebrate. Um, and I was going to show you a few pictures here, but just imagine if you go on the internet, if you look at how the cities around the world are celebrating Christmas, it's all with lights, whether it's in London or Berlin, whether it's in Rio or in, um, in Tokyo, Japan, or certainly in New York or Atlanta, all the cities of the world put up massive Christmas lights for this season. And the question I have is, what is it pointing to? What is it alluding to when the world puts up Christmas lights? And I think we're going to see what uh, humanity knows, that light is inherently good and desirable. 
and it's what John chapter 1 is talking about today. Um, the insights for me is one that Jesus is the light of life that brings true peace to mankind. It is all about him at Christmas. And two, as followers of Jesus, we are the lights that he uses to make this happen through the Holy Spirit. And so that's why the sermon this morning is entitled Christmas Lights. And I want to see us explore three things. One, the word creates light. Two, the word becomes light. And three, the word multiplies light. So those are the three points of our sermon this morning. Um, a few quick thoughts on John chapter one. This is written by the apostle whom Jesus loved. Um, it is um, written between AD 80 and 90. So about 50 years after Jesus was on earth. And it's the last of the four gospels. And what's interesting about it is John is very clear about his goal about uh, this book. And that is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what's interesting is John is now writing this book to a whole audience of churches, both Jews and, and, and Gentiles, um, and different geographies and different age groups, and so in different cultures. So this is probably the most universal of messages that, uh, that John is writing. And so let's jump in to the first point, which is uh, point one, as I fight with my papers here. Number one, the word creates light. Let's read the passage, verses one through three. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything made that was made. First of all, this is beautiful language. It's so simple and yet powerful. But the first topic I want to jump into is this concept of the word and how it relates to different audiences. So first, for the Jews, the Jewish people would have realized right away what John was doing here. He is equating this parallel passage to Genesis chapter 1. They would have recognized the truest of first principles that John is saying that God, the creator, is Jesus. Jesus is God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1. Let me read that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. John is saying that Jesus was there when the earth was created at the very beginning. He was present with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he is the one separating darkness from light. The Jews would have also recognized many other passages that talk about God as creator. Uh, one that comes to mind is Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So John was equating Jesus with Yahweh, with the I am creator, and not just another rabbi or prophet. So for the Jews, that's what they would have heard. For the Gentiles, they would have heard something very different. The term he uses here is the word logos, and that is the idea of reason or rational thought. But instead of this abstract concept, John is making it very personal and relatable. For the Roman Gentile world, their connection to their broader story was about logic and wisdom and knowledge. And he's saying that the ultimate logic, which is Jesus, is a person, and you can know him individually. It reminds me of how the Apostle Paul in Athens was knowing his audience. And in the Areopagus, he found an inscription to an idol, to the unknown God. 
And he said, what therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So as we start this, um, this point, John is building a bridge to both the Jews by connecting Jesus with the I am and to the Gentiles by saying he is the higher reason and the higher logic. And of course, both are true because they reflect God's uh, infinite uh, nature and creator uh, role. So the implication, though, is that Jesus is relevant for all peoples, all cultures, and for all of history. Now, that brings me to the third point of the word as it relates to our culture today, uh, to us as followers of Jesus in the 21st century. Um, if we equate the word, word with Jesus, a few of the other scriptures that we could read would go this way. In Psalm 119, we would say, your word, Jesus, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Or we would read Hebrews 4, where it says, for the word of God, or Jesus, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Or going to the end to Revelation, he, Jesus, is a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the word of God. So this Jesus is the word and is personal and is knowable today. Therefore, we have to spend as much time as we can studying and knowing what the word of the Lord says so that we know who Jesus is, we understand life according to God's design and purpose, and that we have great hope when things are difficult because we know God is restoring all things. And lastly, that we have confidence in our adoption as his daughters and sons. This is so important that we study and apply the word. And I say all this because, as we see later in the passage, we can only be a light into the world to the extent that the word is in our heart and in our mind. That is how the character of Jesus becomes known. This is really important. Our light in the world only shines as brightly as the word is in our mind and in our heart. Think of it like a dimmer switch. And if you and I were lights, how bright would we be? 50 watts, 150 watts, 500 or would we be this massive spotlight reflecting Jesus and all of his true nature and character? That's why the goal of the study of the word is to become more like Jesus and to reflect his light to others by loving them through truth and grace, which we'll see later. So that's why the word is really important. So let's talk about light and darkness as we go to verses four and five. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the creation story, light from darkness is the essence of what God has created. It represents his nature, his character, his holiness. Now, the problem that God is solving for is sin in the world. Now, it is a mystery, but he created creation, and it was good. In fact, it was very good, and he rested. But he also gave men and angels free will to decide. And um, by Adam and Eve... Choosing poorly, sin entered into the world, and God came up with a redemption plan on doing so. In fact, that's what we see at the very uh, end of Genesis 3 in verse 15. It says, I will put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is why Jesus came, was to crush the head of the serpent and to do so with the light of truth and grace, because the serpent is the prince of darkness while Jesus is the Lord of light. So here's the implication of all this to the reader and to us today. Jesus is claiming to be the creator God. He is the light for all men, the true light, and he is restoring his creation, and he's doing it personally. 
So that has an impact on how we read the gospel and how we respond to his demands. Jesus isn't just a good teacher or a moral person. He claims to be the true light that every person needs, and that demands a response. So the question is, how do you respond? How do I respond? Do we see the light of Jesus as something that's joyful and peaceful? Or does it still expose shame uh, and uneasiness because we haven't yet made him Lord of our life? Um, But Jesus is giving us the gift of relationships and reconciliation at Christmas time. And that is what we celebrate. And we use light as that metaphor to do that. So that's, that's why it says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is Jesus' promise to us. So that's the first point. The word creates light. Now let's go on to the second point. Uh, as we go to verses 9 through 13, the word becomes light. Let's read that together. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. This is one of the most important and I think difficult concepts to grasp in Christianity, and that is the incarnation of Christ. The profile of the Savior had to be so precise, fully God and fully man. It's a great mystery. The infinite can become finite, that the invisible becomes invisible, that the supernatural becomes normal, and that the blameless can become cursed. If you think about the incarnation of Christ, it will blow your mind, and it has for many scholars for hundreds of years. And there's so much that we can apply in these verses as they give us glimpses of this character, of this light. In verse 9, it says, uh, he is the true light, not a false light, not an idol, not something that's a shadow. And I think we've seen more and more how many people have been, I think, um, um, uh, taken aback or have been lead to follow false lights instead of the true light. And COVID has revealed a lot of these idols and how they just don't deliver. So he is the true light that nothing can compare with. In verse 9, it also says that he is the light for everyone all races, cultures, creeds, tribes, language. He is universal, which is why the church is growing in all the continents around the world. In verse 10, it said he made the world, yet the world rejected him. I mean, there's so much even in that, which is the creativity and authorship that he has. And at the same time, he was rejected and he can therefore empathize with all of us who feel rejected, either often or at least in our history. In verse 11, it says he came to his own, that we are like him, we are made in his image, which has huge implications on the dignity and the value and the worth of every person as we think about racial reconciliation and we think about how to love our neighbor. And lastly, in verse 12, it says, we receive him by believing, no works other than faith because of the will of God. It is a gift of grace. And to that, we can just simply say, amen. So it's summarized in... Another verse that I would read is Colossians 1, 15, where it said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So I just want to wrap this up by saying that Jesus is the true light and not a false one because of who he is, what he's done, and how he gives us the gift of grace 
and no work from ourselves will save us. So, how does God announce or communicate the birth of the Messiah to the world? And the answer is, he created Christmas lights. That's right. He is the original author and creator and user of Christmas lights. And there are three that I want to look at very quickly here. Uh, The first one, which is the most famous one, is the star. So think of in Matthew chapter 2, and I know Scott preached on that last week, uh, we see the famous star in the sky. It was uh, perhaps burning for up to two years by leading the Magi uh, to Bethlehem and to Jerusalem, and it pointed to where the Christ child was. It was seen by many, and it was a supernatural occurrence that uh, was signaling something unique had happened and was validating the prophecy that was made in the Old Testament. Uh, It may have been some sort of Shekinah glory, similar to the light that led the Israelites out in the Old Testament, um, but it was a special sign that nature itself was celebrating the birth of the Messiah. And it's interesting, every picture and every Christmas tree we see um, almost always has a star at the top. It must have been a pretty amazing uh, light show. So that's the first light. The second one is the heavenly hosts. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, a very famous passage, we know that there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch of their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. It says they were filled with great fear. And then all the angelic hosts all came up and started singing uh, praise to the Lord. It almost feels like those are the lights on the Christmas tree. If you have the star, then you have the lights around the tree. Thousands of voices all coming and celebrating. And it's interesting to see the light that God is equated to with glory many other places in Scripture, whether it is uh, Mount Sinai, whether it's the dedication of the temple or the tabernacle, uh, whether it was the visions that Isaiah saw, or the transfiguration of Christ, or the visions of Revelation that John writes in that book. Um, Always light reflecting the glory of the Lord. There's a third light that I want to look at, which is back in our passage, and that is John the Baptist. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So while the star was a supernatural event in creation, and the angelic host was a light, a worship of community, uh, 30 years later, here comes John the Baptist, and he is not a physical light, but he's a light to the mind, into the ear, into the heart, uh, reminding everyone of God's promises and his, his commitment to sending a savior. In Matthew 11, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest preacher who ever lived, and he was proclaiming uh, the word of the Lord uh, to appeal to their hearts and to their minds. And it's interesting that God always sends somebody to use the word to reflect his, um, his coming. In the Old Testament, it was his prophets. In the New Testament, it was John the Baptist and the apostles. And today, it's uh, us, you and I, as witnesses through the Holy Spirit to proclaim his word to others. And why was he able to do that? And that's because when John the Baptist was um, proclaiming this, he was thinking of Isaiah 2 or Isaiah 9, chapter 2, sorry, that says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And of course, when Jesus was baptized, what happened? A voice came out from heaven, a dove descend, and he was what? 
alightened, that a light came down affirming Jesus as God's son. And when this light takes hold of you and takes hold of me, it prompts us to want it to share with others, to use the word to describe the grace that has been given to us. So whenever you see a Christmas light, whether it's the star, whether it's the little lights, or maybe it's that wrapper of the word, you know, where you have garland or something around the tree, all of these are pointing to the coming of the eternal light, which is Jesus Christ. So we've had the word create light, the word becomes light, and now we're going to see the last section here in verses 14 through 18, that the word multiplies light. Let's read that here. Verse 14, so my favorite language. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, That was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. There are many things that we could jump into in this section, but I just want to focus on three of them. First, the word became flesh. Second, grace and truth. And thirdly, how this light continues today. Now, a lot of folks like to use the uh, message translation where it says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In verse 14, this term dwell is the word to tabernacle or to temple. And the Jewish reader would, again, know exactly the symbolism of having God come down into the temple or the tabernacle and dwell among his people. And in fact, um, they would have known, too, that the tabernacle had its fires and cauldrons and torches burning 24-7, always sending an incense up to the Lord. The same thing happened when the Shekinah glory came and God was dedicating the temple, uh, or actually um, Solomon was dedicating the temple in uh, 1 Kings 8, where the glory of the Lord filled the house, and um, it was an incredible part of worship. Now keep in mind, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 AD. So John is writing this maybe 10 years later. And so it may have been relief to the Jews where they would have heard that they hadn't lost the temple, but the, in fact that the temple had been transferred to uh, a new temple that is in our hearts and in our bodies through the Holy Spirit. And God was finally becoming personal and no longer um, accessed through a set of rituals and rules that we knew were difficult or impossible to follow. The true light became accessible to all and the promise of a savior had been fulfilled. Uh, and that's because of the temple now living in our hearts. If you look at um, verse 17, it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's interesting here for the first time in verse 17 that John actually names Jesus Christ before that, he's using all these other names, word, light, life, truth, grace. But the headline here is that every person needs both truth and grace, but that the Old Testament law under Moses just couldn't satisfy uh, that uh, need or longing. In fact, it held a perfect standard that men and women just couldn't achieve. The entire Old Testament is all about the story of men trying to uh, hold on to their own righteousness and falling every time, needing a sacrifice needing salvation, needing repentance. So there was too much darkness 
And once and for all, in verse 16, it said that the grace had to come from the fullness of Jesus, not from some incomplete human effort. God's fullness abounds even in a year like this, where many people have described it as a wasted year, a year that's been fraught with difficulties or um, unrealized expectations. And certainly it's been a very difficult year for many people, and in fact it is. And yet uh, the Lord is providing a true hope and a true light that isn't um, based on circumstances, but is based on a promise that he has kept. And that's what we celebrate uh, at Christmas. In Colossians 1, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the complete blend of grace and truth. He is mercy and justice, acceptance and adoption. He is reconciliation for relationships. And that is what we desperately need now in our church um, as broken men and women, in our country, uh, in the world. Uh, We need reconciliation with our families, with our communities, with ourselves. And Jesus is reconciling all relationships. Um, And that is the light of Christmas. So finally, let me just end on this. How does this light continue today? And the answer is it continues through his church. Once Jesus died for our sins and rose again, he ascended into heaven and he fulfilled the promise of redemption and conquering sin. He told his disciples, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send you a permanent helper, the Holy Spirit who will be with you and it'll be a gift. And when the early church received the spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter two, do you know what the sign was? The sign were these tongues of fire. I would say more Christmas lights. If you read Acts chapter two, you see how the tongues of fire were on top of each one of them. And what were they doing? Each one of them was speaking the word of the Lord to each other. They were speaking the truths about God's promises and about Jesus uh, in their own native language. It was amazing. These tongues of fire, a baptism uh, by, not by water, but by the Holy Spirit. And the word became incarnate, not only in the physical presence of Jesus, but today in the spiritual form in the early church with each one of us. Um, And so I think the reflection that the light of the world is coming through us because of the spirit that lives within us, and that is a gift. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, Do you not know that that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That is why God can now dwell in human hearts and not a building made by any physical hands. This indwelling of the Spirit results in a life of discipleship. It's following Jesus and encourage each other to do so. It's how we become witnesses, as we're commanded to do in Matthew 28. It's how we bring brighter lights to the world. And it's how we're able to be salt and light and to make a difference um, because the grace that we have been shown. Essentially, Jesus is transferring the light of creation through the Holy Spirit into our lives so that we may brighten a darkened culture in a darkened world so that God can one day restore it fully. And that is the gift of Christmas, the true light of life that creates a peace, joy, and humility as sons and daughters of the King. That is what we are be celebrating uh, this season and every season. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same one that spoke to the word to the authors of scripture is the one that lives inside of us and points us 
and guides us to becoming more like Jesus? Do we believe that? Do we see that? Do we act that way? That's the challenge that I would have us and myself consider as we reflect on this Christmas season, that we are called to be a light in the world and never more so than now because of how dark it is at the moment. That's why we can say with joy and confidence that we are Christmas lights for Jesus because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, these are unusual times, and yet you are consistent in your promise. Thank you for being and sending Jesus to be the light in the world. Thank you for your gift of grace and truth that each one of us who has the Spirit can know you better and that can call you a Father. Thank you that we can celebrate the true meaning of Christmas this year and every year. And we give you thanks and praise for your goodness to us. We ask this in your name. Amen.